Today is Candlelight Sunday. Celebrate this every year. They called it the Feast of Tabernacles. Sometimes Feast of Booths, sometimes Feast of Tents, if you will. The Israelites had tons of feasts throughout the year, festivals they called them, that governed their lives. And it was very important, that, that they got, it's so important that God tells them in Leviticus, I want you to pay attention to and celebrate these feasts that I'm going to uh, uh, ask you to keep. The most important of these feasts and the last of these feasts was called the Feast of the Tabernacles. The most important event in the life of Israel, if you asked any Jew, was the Exodus. They talked about it all the time. The Exodus, the Exodus. And in the Exodus, the Israelites remember that God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt, and he led them ultimately to the promised land, but there was a bit of a detour, you remember? Uh, Because of their disobedience and lack of faith, they wandered in the desert for how long? For 40 years, right? While they wandered in in the desert for 40 years, the Old Testament describes a number of ways in which God provided for them. God showed up and God was God. And these feasts were told... And these feasts were celebrated and kept to remember the various things that God had done for them. And the Feast of Tabernacles was specifically focused on what God did during the 40 years. So one of the things that they did during the feast was they built these booths outside their homes, these tents, if you will. And during the seven-day feast, they lived in these tents. In Hebrew, it's called Sukkot. And they lived in these Sukkot to remember that while they were wandering in the desert, how they had to pinch tents and live in it. But here's the thing that they remembered. They remembered that uh, we shouldn't hold on too tightly to material things. They, They could become gods and idols over us. They're temporary. They could be here, gone tomorrow. Basing our life on material things is an empty, life-draining endeavor. So the Israelites lived in these tents, and they were reminded, oh, yeah, we have to live in tents. The other thing they did during the seven feasts on the last day is that um, they also remembered during the wandering years how when they were dying of thirst, they grumbled like, God, we're thirsty, where's water? They grumbled and complained. And what did Moses do? Moses took his staff and he struck this rock. And the Bible says, and water flowed from this rock. So to celebrate the fact that God provided water for them in the desert, on the last day, or every day I should say, what the rabbis did was they went down to the pool of Shiloham, if you remember the Gospels, and they got pitchers of this water and they came back and the altar sacrifice poured it. And while they poured it, they sang the Hallel or the praise. Remembering how God had provided water for them. And, and, and one day, as the Hallel is going and the water is being poured, Jesus gets up and he says in John chapter 7. On the last day of the greatest feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone, think, 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 guys. The water is being poured. They know exactly what's going on. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him. For those of us 2,000 years later going, Jesus is the Lord with living water. We're going, whatever. No, no, no. Picture. Water is being poured. Rock struck. God providing. It was just a beautiful reminder of what God provided, but it was also a reminder that all of us have a deep yearning and thirst in our soul that can never be quenched by anything in this world. And that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would ultimately come. So the water. Boost the water. The last thing they did, though, was on the... Every day, there were these four four golden lampstands that were set up in the temple. Big lampstands. And and, and, and children would would climb up these ladders, and they would light these lampstands, humongous golden lampstands. Now, remember, the backdrop of Jerusalem is limestone. These golden lamps would be lit, and as they're being lit, people would sing, the orchestra would play, and people would dance. What did it celebrate? Uh, Here's the Old Testament backdrop. It celebrated Exodus 13, 21. 
By day, the Lord went ahead of them in the desert and the wilderness in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Verse 22, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the temple. So here it is, first time in the Old Testament that the identity of God is actually sort of being revealed. God appears in this glory cloud, and during the day, some of us are thinking, you know, Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, right? Which was, you know, a decent, decent, decent depiction, I guess. A huge cloud, a huge cloud, pillar of cloud. And it would, it, w- it would guide them during the day. It would lead them. Because whenever the cloud picked up and left, everybody packed up their Sukkot's tents and they left. And at night, this huge pillar of cloud turned into fire. And it didn't only lead them, but it protected them. How? Uh, the desert in the wilderness during the day, the heat could reach, some commentators say, up to 150 degrees in some places. It could literally kill. So this massive cloud appears to give them shade during the day. And during the night, opposite, it would get really, really cold. And this pillar of cloud would appear at night, and it would give them warmth. So this pillar of cloud, identity of God revealed, it leads them and it protects them during their wilderness. Now, so, so God then says, okay, to tell you really like what this is about, this, this, this cloud, glory cloud, then, then, then goes to the Mount Sinai and it rests on Mount Sinai. Do you remember Mount Sinai? And all of a sudden they get a better picture because it rests on Mount Sinai and all of a sudden thunder and lightning and fire. And Moses says, you want to know what that glory cloud is? Not just pretty. It's not just uh, magnificent. Um, he says, when it rests on the mountain, don't go touch the mountain because if you do, you'll die. Then the glory cloud then appears, and once they build a tabernacle, remember tabernacle, the tent, the meeting, and it rests on the tabernacle, and whenever it did, Moses would go in. But remember, only Moses, nobody else would go in. And God again reminds them, holy. And then they finally build a temple years later, and it rests on the temple. And the Bible says, when it rested on the temple as you're celebrating, nobody could stand on their feet. They became like blubber. Everybody prostrated, fell, and they couldn't even stand up because they're in the presence of God. So on the last day, the lights would light up, remembering the glory cloud of God. But the last night of the day of Feast of Tabernacles was a sad day because the lights would go off. And it's always sad to bring down the Christmas tree. I bought a Christmas tree this week for my wife, and, and it's always fun putting it up. Well, actually, some days, sometimes it has to come down. The lights have to come down. And, and for these people, it was a lot worse. Because when the fire, when the, when, the, when the lamps were shut down and all the decorations were coming out, it was a tremendous reminder to the Israelites, not just all the parties or feasts over. It was a reminder to them, hey, how many years has it been since we've seen the glory of God? Oh, yeah, yeah, about like 400 years. How many years has it been since we've experienced God's Shekinah glory, his living presence among us? Yeah, about 400 years. And so Every night at the day of the feast, it was a reminder that as the lights will go out, decorations are coming down, that God was no longer present among them. On this night, decorations are coming down. And Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. He who follows, again, we go, light of the world, light of the world, light of the world. The Israelites, decorations is coming down, no more light, lamps, 400 years, empty premises of God. And what happens? Jesus stands up, and he's not gently saying. The Bible says he began to speak in a loud voice. Everybody's just about to walk out there. I am the light of the world. He who follows me. We'll never walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. And I guarantee you, the people over there weren't going, oh, that's cute. Jesus says that, and what is he saying? He's saying, everybody, I am the glory cloud that you have been expecting and longing for. I am the glory cloud that your ancestors experienced partially, temporarily, 
I am the permanent glory cloud that is here among you. All the prophets up until now pointed to the glory of God. I am the glory of God. He who follows me. Their response was they wanted to kill him. Matter of fact, it's stuff like that that he said that ultimately got him killed. This morning, we want to remember what Jesus meant when he said, I am the light of the world, he who follows me. And if I do my job, I will rock your world because you will never sing that song ever, ever again. And anytime you see a candle during Christmas, you will never think the same because you will not get pleasant, fuzzy, warm feelings. You will either be blown away in awe and saying, you are my everything or nothing. No warm fuzzies. Why? What did Jesus say? I am. He makes a claim. The light of the world gives a metaphor, and he who follows me gives a challenge. I am. The claim. Let's look at the claim. I am. When Jesus says, I am, to us again 2,000 years, very familiar with the saying of Jesus, is he's missed the significance and the weight of what he says here. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, what his hearers would have heard was Jesus using language that only God used. Jesus uses in the Hebrew, it's called the emphatic ego amy. Everybody say ego amy. Ego Amy. And Ego Amy literally meant, I am that I am. Jesus literally said, They're going, I am that I am. And any, again, knowledgeable Jew would, wouldn't have been going there. Where did he go to school? Well, that's just bad grammar. They would have immediately gone to Exodus 3, where Moses says, God, who should I tell them? Who should, the Pharaoh, who should I tell the Pharaoh that sent me? And God in the, in the, in the, in the glory fire bush burning bush says tell them that i am sent you tell them that i am that i am sent you and jesus says that's who i am to the question god when did you exist jesus answer in the beginning Words of John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god when did you exist in the beginning I'm eternal, infinite, outside of time and space. God, who made you? Who, who created you, Colossians? Nobody made me. All things have been made by me and for me. I am self-existent. Matter of fact, Jesus kind of gets into this, you know, because at the end of John chapter 8, he's getting to it with the Jews, you know, and they're talking about Abraham and stuff like that, right? And Jesus goes, let me tell you something. Even before Abraham was born, what did he say? I, I am. Uh, they knew what he was saying. He was saying, even before Abraham was an idea, I was there. I am infinite, eternal, self-existent. Now think about this. I don't, I don't claim to understand this fully. The infinite, eternal, self-existent creator of the world became one of us. story of Christmas is not God sent Jesus to us. The story of Christmas is God came to us in Jesus. So this is why for me, somebody who goes around and says, I like Jesus, you know, I think he's interesting. You know, he's a good prophet, a good teacher. I go, you've never read the Bible, have you? Because <laughs> if you read the Bible, nowhere did Jesus go out and say, I'm a great teacher. I'm a great prophet. Jesus went around saying stuff like this. I am. I am. Before everyone was born, I am. 
is absolutely clear. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. No one knows the, fa- the Son, Jesus says, except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Now check this out, you guys. Here's what Jesus is saying. Okay, the second half, no one knows the Father but the Son. I mean, he's, he's literally saying there, I have knowledge of God, and none of y'all do. And he's saying, look, I know that some people have a certain knowledge of God, certain prophets, certain teachers, profound, smart people, and certain knowledge of God. I'm not saying that you have no knowledge of God, but compared to the way that I know God, absolute knowledge, your knowledge, it's like you don't know him at all. Now, that's kind of like, whoa. But the first half of this is even more like, whoa. Because look at the first half. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father. What's he saying there? No one knows the son. He's saying, nobody knows me like God knows me. And that's not like you and I, you know, in relationship going, oh, that's kind of cute romantic. Like, nobody knows me like she knows me. He's saying this. He's saying, let me ask you all a question. Um, what would it take to know someone who is eternal, infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, self-existent? What would it take to know someone like that? Because that's who I am. And Jesus says, the only person that could know someone who's eternal, infinite, self-existent, all-powerful, all-knowing being like me is somebody who is also eternal, infinite, self-existent. <laughs> you know, I'm going, oh, 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 y'all don't know me. Nobody knows me like my dad knows me. He is the great Look at what he says. Um, in, 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 in the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1. I'll, I'll make a couple applications. For those of you who are going, it's just philosophical mumble-jumble. What does that mean for me? Oh, yeah, yeah, here's Hebrews 1, 3. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. I'm just trying to, uh, you know, deal with this foolish idea a lot of people have about God, that Jesus didn't claim to be God. Jesus, Jesus was just a good teacher. Exact representation of his being. And then the second half of that verse, Hebrews 1, 3, who sustains all things by his powerful word. Um, here's an analogy illustration I've used in our church before, so let me go in. For those of you scientific minds, uh, put that, leave that verse up there, please, okay? Uh, Barbara Boy, this is a woman from Inner Varsity who, who, who is a wonderful teacher, and, and, and she said this at a conference once. She said that imagine that the distance from the earth to the sun, which is 92 million miles, is thickness of one paper. Then the distance from the earth to the nearest star alone would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. Our galaxy is only one speck, single speck, of an infinite number of galaxies just in part of the universe that we can see. And the Bible says that Jesus holds all of this by the power of his word. Literally, Jesus goes, hold together and holds together. And Barbara Book goes on to say, um, is that the kind of person you ask into your life to be a personal assistant? Is that the kind of God you come and say, hey, can you, can you kind of, you know, be my consultant, help me out a little bit? He holds the entire universe by the power of his word. And you and I want to treat him like he exists for us. You and I want to treat him as if he exists to fulfill our wish list. We don't. He doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. He is not our personal assistant or consultant. He is, say it with me, the great I am. Second question is this, practically. If that's him, how foolish is it for you and I to put limitations on him? On what he can do? No, I'm serious. Everybody, I'm serious. Look up here. You guys are sitting here today and you're going, not even God can. Really? Sustaining all things by his powerful word? Why have you stopped praying for certain people? Why have you stopped fighting injustice in our community, in this city, maybe in the world? Why have you just given and resigned yourself to the fact that certain sins and habitual sins will never be broken? Certain addictions will never be healed? 
Have you stopped enduring? Have you stopped persevering? Have you stopped hoping? If we don't see him as he is, we lose faith. When we lose faith, we lose hope. And when we lose hope, we lose heart. And when those of us lose heart, we give up on life, on ourselves, and each other. But maybe when we begin to see him as the, say it with me, the great I am, we have faith. And when we have faith, we have hope. And when we have hope, we do not lose heart, as Paul says. He is the great I am. So when you sing next time, light of the world, light of the world, question, is he my all? Is he the creator of the universe, eternal and final self-existent one who holds things, all things by the power of his word? Does my life reflect that God? Or is he hmm, teacher, prophet, personal assistant, consultant when I need something, somebody that I go to when I'm really in trouble? He is the great I am, the claim. The metaphor, I am the, say it with me, light of the world. The context to our passage, and the context of the Bible actually really helps us, because I know we've got all kinds of, you know, illustrations of what this means, and, uh, and, and frankly, some of those, you know, uh, uh, outward sort of, you know, applications of this is helpful, but, but think of the context. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's literally telling these people, I am the Shekinah glory of God among you. I am the Shekinah glory of God among you. Ramifications of that. What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? There's like 10, but I want to just do two. Is that okay? Because <laughs> I sit there going, light of the world. Yeah, that's what it means. Light of the world. Yeah, that's what it means. And I'm going, okay, no, no, I got to cut it down to two. So let me just do two. There's more. What do, I, what do we mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, I'm the Shekinah glory of God? It's helpful for us when you look at the Bible. And do you know that the Bible says that, that the world, the world that we live in is like a wilderness. It's interesting. I listened to people's conversations even today as we were praying. And there were people who were praying, thank God, will you, will you help us in, our, in the midst of darkness? Will you help us in the midst of cold? The, the, the Bible says that the world's like a wilderness, meaning that the world is a cold, sometimes dark place. Of confusion. The world is sometimes opposite a killer heat, pressure packed place of exhaustion and turmoil. Anybody relate? Anybody relate? The world is like, I don't know, maybe some of you are going, really? The world is like Garden of Eden to me? Tell me where so I can move there, okay? So the Bible says the world is like a wilderness. And Jesus comes and says, if you belong to me. I am like that shade, the glory cloud in the wilderness. Matter of fact, the Bible goes on to say that you and I cannot survive without the guiding glory cloud of Jesus. What does it mean that Jesus is guiding glory cloud? What does it mean that he's a light of the world? Let me mention a couple, like I said. First, Jesus is the, sh- I don't know if it's up there application-wise. First, is Jesus is a shade from the killer heat of our consciences. Anybody have regrets? <laughs> Three honest people. I've got some regrets in my life. No, I'm serious. At the end of the year, anybody here today, from, you know, simple things like, oh, I had some news resolutions that I didn't get to do, I regret that, to like, I made some mistakes. I've done some things. And I have deep regrets. Anybody? You know what's interesting, you guys, is that this light of the world passage, what preceding that, verse 1 through 11, is the woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees bring the woman caught in adultery, and they're about to stone her. You know that story, right? And Jesus at the end says, and says go and sin no more. He's holding her accountable. But the bottom line of what he says is, I do not condemn you. Why? Because I have taken your condemnation. And the woman walks away that day, not filled with regrets at the mistakes and failures that she's done in her life, the killer heat of her conscience condemning her and the people. She walks away knowing that she is forgiven and cleansed and no longer under condemnation. Anybody have regrets? 
Anybody thinks in your life going, no, I wish that didn't, I wish I could hope, I wish I can go back and change that. How is Jesus a shade? How is this truth a shade that keeps us from the killer heat of our consciences? 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. Some of y'all need to just memorize this, man. 1 John 3, 19. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, the light of the world, and how we set our hearts at rest. Anybody just need their hearts to be set at rest this morning? Anybody anxious? Anybody confused? Anybody just, oh! Jesus, I, I want your hearts to be at rest. How? Say the next part with me. In his presence. Verse 20. Whenever, by the way, I love that because it's not saying if. He says every single one of us, whenever our hearts condemn us for, I love that for, and I don't know grammatically what that is, and I'm not going to go there. (laughs) For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I just want you to just pit, for God is greater than our hearts. Because I talk to my non-Christian friends, and a lot of them say, I've got a certain image of God, Peter. It may not be the God that you believe, but I've got a certain image of God in my mind, and I'm happy with that. So I ask them, go, where did you come up with that image of God? And at the end of the day, the honest answer they could say is, well, that's how I like to think of God. It's a God that we make up. It's a God that we've created and we fashioned. And for some of us, that alleviates certain things because it means I don't have to be accountable. I don't have to duh. It alleviates certain things. But then I always say this to them. I go, but here's the problem. Take somebody whose heart is condemning them. Take somebody whose heart is not at rest. Take somebody who is fearful, anxious. Take somebody who is constantly dealing with strife. And I say, if your God is somebody that you created in your mind, how can that God change your heart? How can God, who's a product of your heart, God that you fashioned in your mind, and sure that takes away some problems like, I don't have to think about that, I don't think about that. But if you are an insecure person, if you are a fearful, if you're a person lacking self-worth, if you are a person whose heart is facing, whose heart condemns you, how does a God that we create, we fashion, come in and say, I'm greater than your heart? You think you're guilty? You're not guilty. You're feeling condemned? There is no condemnation. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you say, the Bible God, the Christian God, oh, I don't like to think about him because he makes me really uncomfortable. You know, the whole hell, and we need to believe in Jesus. Fine, you could deal with that. But ultimately, if your heart condemns you, says you're worthless, how does a God that we created with the heart just come and say, you're not worthless? So we like to say around here, the profoundest needs of our heart is a God who is not the product of the profoundest needs of our heart. Say, where do I find God? I like that. The Bible says you find it in Scripture. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Okay, Christians, can I talk to you? My guess is uh, statistically about half of y'all are sitting in here, and you know what it's like to feel condemnation in our hearts. Y'all know what it's like for us to, I'm facing this today, you know, this today. This week was not a good week for me. There's certain things that I shouldn't have done, gone to places I shouldn't have gone. And by the way, you're sitting there going, where did you do? Look, I'm sitting here, uh, got up this morning, and I hear this voice, you know. You're going to get up there and preach in front of those people. Who do you think you are? Anybody familiar with that voice? Okay, here's, here's the other one. You call yourself a Christian. Come on. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> you think God could forgive you and love you? It's doing that? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, so like half of you could relate. Okay, and the other half of you, you have no idea what this voice is. Okay, that's fine. And here's the last one. Here's the last one. Peter, the tragedies of your past means that there's no future for you. Some of you women sitting in here, just and this is a Holy Spirit thing, right? So I'm just going to some of you women in here, you know how you can hard to condemn you? Uh, you haven't been sexually pure and you're single, and you think your singleness or inability to find somebody is God's punishing you. That's Satan coming and saying, tragedies of your past means that there's no future for you. 
Some of you guys here dealing with addictions, some severe addictions. You know, I'm never going to go over this. That's Satan coming and saying, tragedy of your past. He says, no future for you. What do we do in the midst of this? La, 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 la. No, 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 no. Do we do that? Does that work? Doesn't work for me? <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? We say what? We say we go to the truth. And Jesus, who is the guiding glory light from the killer heat of our conscience. As we remember, passages like Romans 8.1, which says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is this good news? There is therefore now, not later, not when you start acting better, not when you go back and make it right. Right now, for those who are what? Trying really, really hard, doing really, really my best, reading the Bible until I can't stop reading it anymore, praying until I can't pray anymore. Those who are what? In Christ Jesus. There is now. What does it mean to condemn? Let me tell you what it means to condemn. Condemn means to, 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 to pronounce an unfavorable and adverse judgment on, to express a strong disapproval of. Some of y'all just walking around, you just think all day that God just disapproves of you. You're trying so hard to earn his approval. He'll tell you something. If you're in Christ, there ain't nothing you can do ever, ever, ever to earn his approval because you're already approved in Christ. So stop it. but I did such and such, and last week, and I did. As soon as you go, I such and such, and last week, I did. You know what you're doing? You're falling into religion, which says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted and loved. And Jesus Christ says, not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, you are in Christ. And you're loved. That's the issue. Is this good news to anybody? Okay, so the 50% of us to which our hearts condemning us this morning, we can say amen. What does it also mean to condemn? It means to censure, to sentence, to punishment, to pronounce guilty, incurable, incurable. Condemn, it comes and says you're incurable. Some of us in here are not just struggling with certain sins. We are in it. We are in this vicious cycle of doing it, repenting of it, saying, God, I will never do it again. Doing it again. Repenting of it. God, I will never do it again. And Satan comes to us says, you will never, ever be free from this, and you are condemned. What does God say? Therefore, there is. Say it with me. This is the hardest thing, hardest truth for some of us to break through because you have such a fortress and a wall of Satan's lies that I'm saying this to you right now and you're going, but you don't know what I did, but you don't know what I think, but you don't know. The determining factor in your relationship with God is not your past or your present. It is Christ's past and Christ's present. Despite what you look like in reality, let me tell you, the gospel of Jesus Christ says, because of what he has done for you, because of what he is for you, because of his beauty, because of his love, because of the righteousness that he's clothed you with, regardless of what you think you look like in reality, when God sees you, his heart bursts with joy and says, ah. Is that good news to anybody? It is to me this morning. It is to me. It is to me this morning that I stand before you and I stand before God. Not in my own righteousness, not in my own effort, not in my good works, but in his glory. Jesus Christ is our glory shade from the killer heat of conscience. Secondly, just one other insight, light of the world. Jesus Christ is our guide, our light, our guide in the wilderness. Anybody need direction here today? <laughs> Anybody need to know what God's will is for you? <laughs> okay, so at the same time, anybody ever feel like, God, where are you? Anybody ever feel like, God, are you there? Okay, so you can relate to this better. Okay. All of us know what it's like because the Bible, again, says the world is like a wilderness. It could be a place of confusion. The image that came to my mind is, you know, when you're in a cave, it's really dark, and you're running, and you're running, and you're running, right? It's dark, and you see a glimmer of light, and you think, that's the exit. And you go there, and when you get there, there's like three more caves. Anybody at that place? 
What now? The Bible says that Jesus Christ is our guiding light. Whenever the glory cloud picked up and went, the people moved and they went. Now, here's the thing that I want you to know. The truth that Jesus is trying to show us to that is you don't take your cues from your circumstances. You don't take your cues about what God's doing, where to go from your circumstances because your circumstances are not good indicators of what God is up to in the world. Amen? You also don't take your cues about what's going on from your friends because they're just as stupid as we are. Amen? You don't take your cues from your friends. Well, I think you ought to. You ought to think you ought to. You ought to. And you go, you ought to shut up because you're not the glory guiding light of God. No, and I'm saying, listen to your friends. I'm, you know, you see what I'm saying, okay? So they're our friends. You also don't take cues, and this is a hard struggle for us, for your reality of what's going on from your instinct. When was the last time your instinct was objective enough to hear God? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We get to that place in the wilderness and start going, I think, why do you want to do that, Andy? I don't know. My instinct says, and we do the whole, but I've been praying, but I've been fasting, which is okay. But at the end of the day, are those good indicators? Jesus says, I am the guiding glory of light. You trust me. You follow me. You look to me. You know, when I talk to and see mature Christians in the midst of a dark place in the wilderness, they're not really in the dark. Can I say that again? When I see mature Christians who are in dark places, they're not really in the dark. What do I mean? See, they go around saying, you know what? I don't take my cues from the circumstances because even though I think in the circumstances, God's silence is absence, he's not. Even though I think that God's hiddenness means that he's abandoned me, I know he hasn't abandoned me. And I hear mature Christians say things like this. I know what God did to Abraham when God said pick up and go. I know what God did to Job that there are limits to what God is going to put us through and there's a purpose behind it. I know what God did to Peter. I know what God did to Ruth. And mature Christians have this ability to go, I am not going to dictate what God is doing and gauge what God is doing in the world about my next year, my future, so on and so forth, based on circumstances, friends and advice, so on and so forth, and in them by myself. They say, I-, I trust, I obey. I fix my eyes on him. And when he gets up, I follow. Let me give you an example of what this means. Illustration, okay? There's two ways. After this, let's say you're coming over to my house for lunch. And there are two ways for you to get to my house. One is I can give you a map. Remember the good old days of map? <laughs> Yahoo, Google map, okay? With the tens of directions. I can probably that to you and go, I go, okay, I live like 10 minutes from here, but here, here's what I want you to do. See the Google map here. And so, so follow the directions and move. That's how some of us like to be led by God. We like to go, God, give me the rules. Give me the regulations. Give me the stuff. The other way I can have you come to my house is to say, where are you parked? All right over there. I'll park next to you. I get in front. Follow. What about the map? No, no, don't worry about the map. Look up, look up, look up. My car. See my car? Follow it. So when I take a left, what do you do? You take a left. When I stop, you, you stop. When I go a little faster, you come a little faster because Peter has a metal for, you know, what does that thing go? A lead foot? Yeah, yeah. So, so, God's like that too sometimes. Whoa, God, what you doing? Come on, keep up. Right? God says, and then says, when I take a right, there's big differences. This one is rules and regulations. Thank God. What are the rules of your will? The other is: Are you so sensitive and connected to the living Holy Spirit who lives inside of you that the way that you are led by God is when God says, "Spirit says, you ready to go?" Oh yeah. You stopping? Yep, I'm stopping. Take a left. Yep, take a left. Take a left. God is a glory light. And the way that He asks us to follow Him in terms of direction: look up, obey, trust. And be so sensitive to his leading. Instead of rules and regulations and laws and Bible, he says, be in such deep relationship and intimacy with me, of which word and prayers apart, that you look up and you're watching me. That's what the Israelites did. Glory call picked up. God, where are we going? Just follow. Stop. Right here? Right here. So all of our questions about is it him, her? All of our questions about is it there, here? All of our questions about that job, this job, all of our questions about why closed doors, all of the questions perhaps could be answered if our focus is not circumstances, if our focus is not what I'm feeling, if our focus is not what people are saying, if the focus is on I am so sensitive and connected to the living Holy Spirit living inside of me. The glory cloud of God is my guide. Even in this wilderness of confusion, even in this wilderness, 
I love Romans 8.13. It says, For all who are led by God, all who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All. And, and, the, and the word that I love more than anything else is the word all, not just those who do well, spiritual, the all. All means that every single one of us, you might be able to screw up your life in the short run, but if you belong to him and you follow the glory cloud, you can never, ever really mess up your life. You know, I love to say in our church, God doesn't have a plan B for your life. Can you imagine God up there going, <gasps> well, we're going to do now. But that's how we think, isn't it? What's how we think? I've done this. I've messed up, God. I just totally ruined it. Now what? And we think God is up there going, oh, I really wanted you to there, but you did that, so I don't know. I'm at a loss. You know, let me go back and consult with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and come back to you and tell you what's going on. I mean, that's what we think. That's what we think. I've messed up my life. I've messed up this my whole life. And let me tell you something. There is no plan B for your life. There is nothing you can do to stop God from getting you to the place that God wants you. Nothing. You all can clap to that. I don't know why. That's nothing, nothing. Let me tell you something. Some of you else, not just that are past mistakes. Some of us think what's happened to me because of my family, what's happened to me because of my family of origin, the dysfunction. Let me tell you something. Not even your family origin or your family dysfunction. Let me put it this way. God doesn't believe in a hand-me-down life. Look at your family. Well, that's all you get. You know, here's hand. God doesn't believe in a hand-me-down life. He has a purpose and a plan for you. He says, all who are led. Is this good news? This is great news. The claim, the metaphor. Let's finish. The challenge is what? Follow me. There's a call. Follow me. Follow me. If you're not a Christian, maybe you are a Christian too. Can I, can I just, uh, 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 how, how do you know that you are being illumined? How do you know that the light of Christ, how do you know that the truth, the truth of Christ is the light of Christ is, 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 is coming to you, that you're being illumined by it, you're actually seeing it? How do you, how, uh, when I was a, in high school, um, I hated mornings because I, I, I am not a morning person, as my wife will tell you. I have the hardest time getting up in the mornings. Not only that, but I like in my room when I sleep to be like pitch dark. Anybody? Anybody? Like I can't sleep if there's, you know, like it's annoying. Like if there's small, like there's a small sliver of light, I can't, blah, so it's like pitch dark. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like taped, you know, duct taped, like pitch dark. You know what I mean? So the way I get up in the morning, I didn't have an alarm either because I believe sort of in the, you know, I get up when I want to get up. So, so my mom would go, oh, no answer. No answer. She'd walk in. What would she do? Soga! Because she doesn't speak English, right? She's a Korean. I'll say it in Korean and I'll translate for you. She goes, Soga, irana! Which means, Peter, get the heck up. Okay, that's what that means, right? And of course, I wouldn't, uh, you know what she'd do? She, she'd go to the window and do what? She'd pull up the shades and the blinds, right? And what happens? The shade and the blinds and the light, and I'm not sitting there going, uh, what am I doing? I'm going, oh, gosh, mom, put the, put, put the, put the, pl- all right, all right, I'll get up, I'll get up, put the, pl- this is how you know you're being illumined by Jesus Christ, the light of the world. If you see him for who he is, your reaction is not, meh. I'm being serious. If you're being illumined by the light of the world, your reaction is one of, Christian or not, here's how I know you've encountered the light. When you encounter the light, it is so penetrating and so truthful that your reaction is one of, nah. Your reaction will be one of, C.S. Lewis said it, utter terror. Who is this God? Who is this God who holds the universe in his hands? Who is this God who says, by the power of his word, who is this God who is infinite, eternal, self-fixed? Who is this God? That's your reaction. Or you're mad. You're not a prophet. You're not a teacher. Who the heck do you think you are? The great I am, and you'll respond the way the Jews responded, which is, I want to kill you and snuff you out. Or your response will be, everything that I am, all that I am. Have you been illumined by the light of Christ? Or are you sitting there going, meh, you know, Jesus, warm fuzzies, vitamins, 
supplement. You know, something you take just to give you, you know. Or are you mad, angry, scared, terrified, falling on your knees and saying, you are Lord? Hmm? What is your reaction to the baby Jesus? Oh, so cute. Or are you tempted to prostrate and saying, you are God? What is your response to the light who is illuminating? You are a Christian. What does it mean for us? One with these practical applications, and we're done. One. Christian means that you will live life of absolute consistency and integrity. Absolute consistency and integrity. What do I mean? The Bible says that those of you, those of us who follow him will not walk in darkness. Um, can I get real kind of, some of us are doing stuff in the dark. Some of us are doing stuff in the dark that our spouses don't even know about. Some of us are doing stuff in the dark that our uh, friends don't even know about. Some of us are doing stuff in the dark, actually, that uh, even ourselves don't know about. What do I mean? We're in such deep denial. You know what the Bible says? Well, history proves that everything will ultimately come out. Someone say Tiger Woods. No, you know, the profound thing for me about that is one, one, there's not a bone of judgmental bone in me. Not a bone of judgmental bone. There's not a judgmental. I, I, I don't look at him and, and, and go, oh, I'm better than him because I didn't actually cheat on my wife. No, I look at him and I say, God, have mercy on me like you're having mercy on me. But the history says everything will ultimately come out. Now, this isn't to scare, you know, you're going, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm back in my old church where the pastor used to go and say, everything will come out one of these days or better. No, no, I'm just, I'm just stating a fact. Everything will one day be revealed. And Jesus says things will be revealed, not just now, but ultimately. And the challenge that comes to us then is says, live with integrity. Don't be someone who's different in the dark than when you're in the light. Don't be someone who would do things just because nobody's looking that you would not do when everybody is looking. Jesus, be a person of integrity. Do you distinguish the difference between obedience and joy? Obedience. Ugh, boring. Living in the light. Ugh, lame. Sin. That's fun. Disobedient. As long as you think there's a difference between obedience and joy, you will never obey. You know why? Unless you believe that God is good and he's a source of all good, obedience will not be a source of joy. Did you get that? So when you say, God is good all the time, instead of thinking about how God provides for you, think about when you say, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. That means that God is the source of that which is good. So if we want the source of that which is good and live a life of joy, we obey. Here's how you know that your life is being illumined, life of integrity. The things that you used to like burn for, used to burn for, you no longer burn for. I talked about this a little bit last week. The passion that you used to have. By the way, if you're a Christian going, Peter, I feel like my goal is to repress these passions, repress these desires, repress. This is the opposite. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The goal is not religion of repressing our desires. No. If you're having passions that are contrary to the will of God, admit it. Admit it. God, that right there is beautiful to me right now. Can you do that? You need to do that. God, that right there is really, really beautiful to me. I know it's not of your will, but it's ravishing my soul. Because that's the only way that you'll be able to admit not just what's ravishing you now, but what will ultimately ravish you, which is Christ. I learned about hot shots. Anybody know what hot shots are? They're firefighters. You know when there's a forest fire and fires are just raging, okay? And those, those planes that dump water aren't able to, you know, quench the fire. They send these guys called hot shots. Okay? By the way, I just, uh, guys who start fire without permission are called arsonists. But guys who start fire with permission are called firefighters. I don't know. You just think about that one. Okay. So, so these guys, hot chests are being dropped. So they get in. You know what they do to turn out the fire? 
these hotshot guys, firefighters, go and they start fires. They start these fires. They start these fires around where the uncontrollable fire is. Because the fires they start will ultimately overpower the fire that's out of control. Simple principle, actually. The principle there is that if you have trouble with sexual purity, the answer to that is not to say, God, I say no to this desire. God, I say no. You've got to say yes to something even more powerful and greater. You don't have to be ravished by the beauty and attractiveness of Christ. Overcoming temptation is never going to be done by willpower. It has to be gospel power. Gospel power. Secondly, what does it mean to live in the light? Live not just cons- uh, uh, consistency and integrity, but also live attractively. Live attractively. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Jesus is beautiful. Are we beautiful? Is there anything beautiful about your Christian life that your friends and non-Christian friends could see? Is there anything remarkable about us? Let your light shine before men, Jesus says, so that men will see your good deeds. Not just talking, living, but the good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus, the light of the world, beauty, attractiveness. Is there anything beautiful about our lives? When people see you, take criticism. When people watch how you treat people under you. When people watch how you treat and deal with others. When people watch how you handle difficulties, are they amazed? Are they surprised? Are they totally blown away? Is there anything beautiful about us that we are radiating to the world? Is there anything attractive about us that we are radiating to the world that the world looks at us and says, how is that life possible? Third, live courageously. And this is the challenge. Live courageously. If if you're light, you will expose people. You can't help it. You will expose people and you won't be able to help it. That's the nature of light. What do I mean? You do your job faithfully. You do your job unto the glory and honor of God. And you do your best. Other coworkers might come to you and go, stop working so hard. You're making us look bad. These are real stories I've heard. Real stories I've heard. Waiters. Waiters who are working at restaurants who report every tip that they get. Every tip that they get. And the other waiters are going, you got to stop doing that. Because if you stop before every t- the IRS is ultimately come after us, so stop, stop it. Real story, a policeman who refuses to take bribes and turns away at a pimp who is kind of doing his thing in a, in a street corner in that community, and other cops are saying, look, you could better start taking bribes because if you don't, next time you call for backup, there's going to be no backup. I heard about a, a, an elderly white couple in a white community, a black couple moved in, the primarily white community, and this white couple went out of their way to embrace them, make them feel welcome. The other neighbors start saying, what are you doing? Start doing that. Eventually, other people, will sh- and they embraced and loved and cared for. You're fighting for just immigration laws and affordable housing, and you're exposing prejudice and injustice. People come up to you and go, even physical, real story, physical intimidation, saying, if you don't stop it, we're going to shut you up. Here's the principle of living courageously in light. If you're living as light of Christ, people are going to say, put out that light. And if you do, you're being a coward. If you have never had the experience of somebody coming to you and saying, put out that light, you're a coward. Because it means there's nothing beautiful, consistent, attractive about your life that other people are saying, why are you doing that? Have you ever had somebody come to you, non-Christian, in your work, school, and say, put out that light? Are we living courageously, attractively, beautifully? Motivation to do this? You need to come on up. What do you think the motivation is? <laughs> Get up and do it! Go 
pull you. No, no, the motivation is what? Is Jesus. So I want to end with Jesus. Is that okay? Is that okay? Am I going to give you a candy cane? I give candy cane to the people that are sitting up front here because uh, they sat up front and, and they put up with my screaming and yelling and a little over there in the corner. Hey, guys. I know today maybe some of you guys are like, well, I never looked at the passage before. I want to just leave you with one passage and I want you to have go home and meditate and chew on it. Where's the motivation to live attractively, beautifully, and courageously come from? It's not saying, I'm going to pull myself by the bootstraps and do it. It's seeing Jesus. Who is Jesus? Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Um, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read this story and we're done. So Jesus, so he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. Allusions to think about the Old Testament. Verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Uh, Mount Sinai, lightning, flash. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. And they spoke about, you guys, they spoke about, literally in Greek, it says, the Exodus. The departure, English, is literally the exodus. Jesus spoke about his exodus, which he was about to bring for men in Jerusalem. So Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three, what? Which were booths. It's the feast of? So here's what Peter's doing. He's saying, hey, Feast of Tabernacles, glory of God, Mount Sinai. He's here. And let's build up some tent. And look what the Bible says. Master's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And parenthesis says, he didn't know what the heck he was talking about. <laughs> Why is it always about Peter? While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. As they were afraid, they entered the cloud. And a voice came from cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Here's the motivation to do this, okay? And never look at the passage. The motivation to do this was we live in the light. First of all, the glory light comes, Mount Sinai, lightning flash. Jesus Christ appears with Moses and Elijah. And, and Peter is saying, it's just like the feast, tabernacles, Old Testament. Let's build some bruise. And the reason why it says he didn't know what he was talking about is because in the Old Testament, if that was true, he would have been what? Dead. He would have been dead. He is in the glory cloud of God. Why didn't Peter die? Why don't any of us die for our sins? It's because Jesus Christ took upon himself our sins, our condemnation. He took upon himself and removed the distance and the barrier between the Shekinah glory of God and sinful man by coming as a baby living the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died so that in him we might have life. Jesus Christ is the whole exodus. My friends, Jesus Christ is the whole exodus. Jesus Christ is the lamb that was slain and sacrificed so that we can be free from our slavery to things of Egypt, our idols that are God. Jesus Christ is the rock that was struck by the judgment of God so that in him springs of living water would flow that would quench our thirst, the longing of our thirst. Jesus Christ is the rock that was struck. Jesus Christ is the glory cloud that comes down and Release us from our killer heat of consciences when our hearts condemn us saying, who do you think you are? Jesus Christ is the glory cloud that chases us in his truth that says, you are nothing but the beloved son of God. And Jesus Christ is the glory cloud that leads us and guides us in this life. No matter what we do, where we are, mistakes we make, that glory cloud every day gets up and says, now it's time. Follow. I don't have a plan B for your life. You are exactly where you need to be.
you are exactly where you need to be right now. God, the glory cloud. So, Father, we come today, and uh, as we're about to get up and, 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 and light our candles and celebrate, remember, commemorate, commit to. God, this isn't just a cute little exercise of holding a candle and singing a familiar song. This is remembering what you meant when you said, I am the light of the world. Follow me. I am the light of the world. Follow me. Follow me. As the ushers are coming forward, I'm going to give you a moment, a few seconds, just to get yourself ready. Hold the candle. Have the candle ready. Light of the world, light of the world, light of the world, you shine upon us. Light of the world, light of the world, light of the world, light of the world, you shine upon us. Light of the world, light of the world, light of the world, you shine upon us. The ushers will go. And as they're lighting the candle, and your candle is lit, will you stand with me? And as we sing, as we sing, meditate on these truths. Sing, light of the world, light of the world, light of the world, light of the world, you shine upon us. the world you shine upon us as candles are being lit will you spend a moment now as the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to you are there areas in your life where you've been a coward are there areas in your life where you've hidden the light of Christ are there areas in your life in which there needs to be repentance and confession and accountability as you hold that light in your hand, you're reminded that our God is faithful and just, and He is one who forgives us and cleanses us. So as light is being lit, stay. Take this time for a moment to do some soul-searching, personal reflection with God. Oh, 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 thank you for taking care of people upstairs. Stand with us. Take a moment to do that. Second thing that I'd like you to do as I lead you through prayers, as you hold on to the light, remember who that is that you're holding. He is the great I am. He is the great I am, the infinite, eternal creator of the world. Are you responding to him appropriately? Do you, do you, do you live Rightly related to this God who holds the universe by the power of His Word. Do you exist for Him? Does He exist for you? Does He exist to fulfill your agenda? Do you fulfill to live your life fulfilling the, His agenda 
and a mission for your life. Take a moment. Take a moment. Listen to the Holy Spirit and respond to him as you pray. Shine upon us. Shine upon us. Oh, you are light. And lastly, He is the great I am. He is the light of the world, giving shade to our killer consciences to know that we are forgiven, we're accepted, we're embraced. We are beautiful in His sight. We are absolutely gorgeous and beautiful in His sight. And He is one who leads us through this time, perhaps of darkness and confusion and needing direction. He is there to lead you, to guide you every step, every moment, every second of the way. Pray to Him. Pray to him. Thank you, Lord. Have a great week, you guys. Safe travels, those of you who are traveling. We'll see you back here next Sunday.